This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. <laughs> he wants nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. It's time for another edition of the Madden Money Bets podcast. I'm Mark Madden, joined by Tim Benz. Uh, Tim, should we bet on the Penguins to ever win a game again? Because uh, they've lost six in a row. The odds aren't out yet for their uh, hosting Seattle on Saturday at PPG Paints Arena. Uh, But they've lost six straight, and boy, they look bad doing it. Should we ever bet on them to win again? Not if they have the lead in the third period. I think you live bet every Penguins game at this point. If they're ahead, you bet against them. If they're behind, well, maybe you throw some money down on them to come back. But they are terrible with the lead right now. Well, they're just terrible, period, Tim. And and I put most of the blame uh, on the core three because everything was done the way they wanted. They signed Malkin and Latang to long-term deals for, you know, not the money they were making, but, but a lot of money and money that certainly clogged the Penguins cap situation. And uh, I see critics saying, well, the fourth line got to do more. Well, Josh Archibald scored a goal in each of the last two games. I, I think that's enough out of the fourth line and, and certainly enough out of Josh Archibald. I can't expect any more. But uh, but this is exactly what Latang, Crosby, and Malkin wanted, and it's up to them to make the most of it. There's a Steelers element to this in the sense that this is what they created. They knew what they were getting back. In the Steelers' situation, they knew what they were creating for themselves by retaining Mason Rudolph, signing Mitch Trubisky, drafting Kenny Pickett. With the Penguins, you knew the age, where these players were on their their career arc. And I actually thought, Mark, we've talked about this on many occasions, that they were going to have to be very good in October and November because it's a long season. The grind would wear them down. First two weeks... Maybe. Last few, last six games? No, not at all. And this is maybe not a hole that they can afford to dig for themselves. Yeah, and it really is unexpected after, like you alluded to, they got off to a 4-0-1 start. But uh, but, uh, but I can't say they're getting any uh, worse than they deserve, given how they play and given their approach. Uh, they just want to play high-octane blitzkrieg hockey for 60 minutes. Attack, 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 and they're too old. And and not 
not fast enough and not good enough to play that way. I mean, they can pick their spots and uh, they can do that, you know, situationally, like uh, playing the first period and getting a lead. You know, I get, but uh, case in point, I'm going to go all the way back to the Edmonton game. Brian Russ scored two minutes into the second period to give them a 3-1 lead on the road, right? They should have trapped it until Edmonton scored a goal. They should have made Edmonton get frustrated and flustered on their home ice, trailing, not able to create because of cogging done by the Penguins. But instead, they had to make sure they got a fourth goal, which they I don't think they ever did. I think Edmonton got all the goals after that. Well, even last night after the game, somebody asked Sidney Crosby, what do you think's going on when you guys have the lead? Why can't you close it out? And he said, sometimes it feels like we can't get the next one. Other times it feels like we can't keep them off the board. Well, it's that last thing you should be worried about. Right. Not getting the next one all the time. And to your point about the stars. And I'm tired of hearing that's their DNA. Their DNA is aging. Mm-hmm. Okay, they got to recognize what is, not what they want and what was. And to your point That sounds about, like a Zeppelin song. <laughs> what was and what will never be again. Yeah, well. You know, I look at that production from... Rust and Malkin and Crosby and Gensel, like last night, when you talk about the Stars, I'm more on your side of the fence on this one, that it's unfair to ask more of the Josh Archibalds and Brock McGinn's of the world. Well, you see, but that's the way to criticize Hextall. And that's the way to not criticize Sid and Latang and Malkin. Exactamundo. Yeah. But I think, like, if you look at the box score last night, you've got Crosby, who's a minus four and doesn't have any points. Rust is a minus four and doesn't have any points. Latang and Gensel did connect on the quick goal to start the third, which is a real nice play. Another chance to trap it up after that, though. Like, yeah. And I always go back, and I, I, you know, if people are tired of me saying this, I'm tired of having to. But I go back to the playoffs against the Rangers. They won that game at PPG. They were up 4-1. to one, They blew it. Heinen scored with, with nine minutes left, and they trapped the rest of the game. And they worked down low. And they got two empty net goals at one seven four. And it was like they were ashamed of having done it because then in Game 5, they led by 2. In Game 6, they led by 2. In Game 7, they led by 1 twice. And they never went back to a strategy that worked because it's just not their way. If they think that it's better to lose their way than to win compromising, they're going to get their wish. They are right now. Well, just to sort of paint another picture of it like for instance i know you watched the showtime series right the lakers show on yes. hbo and you know, they could w- want to push and be showtime for as long as they tried but you got to keep in mind the pistons were there to be the bad boys eventually and the knicks and the pistons were going to beat each other up and the bulls and the knicks were going to beat each other up like james worthy and magic johnson were going to get to their 40s at some point and not be able to be showtime anymore these guys are on the cusp of that. That's what these guys are becoming. And whether they think they're selling their souls to a trap system or selling their souls to not beautiful hockey, oh well. You might have been able to push against that when it was 2016 and 17, and you certainly could in 08 and 09, but you can't now. No, when they were winning cups, they could dictate how the game was played. They're not fast enough or good enough to do that anymore, and they just can't see that. And, uh, if they trapped and counterattacked, not like the Devils when they won cups, you know, where they just dumped it back in and reset the trap. The Canadians in the 70s under Scotty Bowman, they were one of the highest scoring teams ever. And all they did was trap and counterattack. Every time the puck turned over, four guys went the other way because that enabled them to not only use their legs, use them selectively, which the Penguins could not selectively, but use their guile 
to make their experience pay off. If I'm Gino, Sid, and Latang, I want to rely more on my head than on my legs because the head doesn't age. The head gets better. And you have shorter bursts. Like you do you can be faster in a shorter amount of space if you're turning the puck over in the neutral zone. You don't have to worry about every breakout pass being perfect and being skating with as much alacrity for two hundred feet. Cut it in half. Start at the red line. Start at the defensive blue line. Go well, two thirds of the rink. I look at the two goals they gave up to lose the lead at, at Buffalo. The tying goal, Gino could have gone up the boards and just, you know, whacked it out. Instead, he tried to make a pass in the middle, got picked off. A couple Buffalo passes later, tie game. Then, with under 10 minutes left, you're tied 3-3. Marcus Pedersen joins the rush. What the frig is Marcus Pedersen going to do? And he's been their best left-sided defenseman this year, but he's not the kind to attack the rush to impact things in that way. As a result, turnover, two-on-one the other way, Alex Tuck scores the winning goal. It, It just... And you can cite example after example like that where something different should have been done during the six-game losing streak, and yet they keep making the same tight mistakes over and over. Yeah, I'll give you one from Boston, and it was at a less tipping point of the game, but the Malkin blind pass backhanded off the boards to Raquel where he tried to wrap around with a stick and lost his stick. That turned into a goal for Boston back the other way. Are you a puck management guy or are you an ice management guy because i kind of think they're different terms and i think need to be start start to be used on the penguins differently it depends on scoring situation like to me what the in a close game or or when i lead by one or trying to catch up i'm a puck management guy uh with the lead of two or more for sure i'm an ice management guy i'm a territorial guy yeah see like the, the play that i just described where malkin screwed that up with the backhand pass that's an area of the ice issue more than it is even a puck issue. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it wasn't a great decision with the puck, but especially at that spot along the boards near the blue line where the other players were, like, realize your situate, like your, your situation as well as the score and the time on the clock. Realize where you are on the ice and the likelihood of that pass being completed versus the risk of what might happen the other way. Tim, when, when I coached, I know it's only crappy deck hockey, but I won a lot. And if we had a lead, like, you know, in the middle of the second period, you know, two goals, something like that, I would say, okay, just get it in deep and see if they can bring it the length of the rink through six of us three times because I don't think they can. You know, that's that's the territorial. That, yeah. like, you know, you make them come 200 feet. Mm-hmm. But the Penguins just don't do that. They it, to, 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 like, kind of uh, steal a football term, football, you give a short field. The Penguins give a short rink. And that's the kind of rink I was talking about before that they should use to their advantage. You know, if you turn the puck over in the neutral zone, then you don't have to skate as far as fast, which is probably advantageous to them because they can do it in bursts, I think more so than giving younger, more fleet of foot, bigger, longer striding defensive players on other teams uh, that might have a little bit more juice left in their legs than these guys in 30-something. They're going to catch up the longer amount of ice they have to, to do so. Tim, their insistence on using their preferred approach for 60 minutes reminds me of something Bud Bundy said in Married with Children. A uh, a young uh, hottie who he had somehow coerced into giving him the time of day said, Oh, Bud, I want you in the worst way. And Bud Bundy said, And that is exactly how you shall have me. <laughs> uh, Tim, let's move on to football. Some of, some of the bets there. Uh, by, by the way, I always thought that the most... 
meaningful lines came from Bud. Yes. I felt in that show they did a really nice job writing stuff like that for Bud. He was an underrated source of comedy on that sitcom because the characters were Peg and Al. And everybody had their eyes on Kelly. I thought a lot of the funny, oftentimes written-wise, not the physical comedy stuff, came from Bud. And Bud took a bump a lot, too. Like, if he, he did, you know, that line made him look foolish. But right, yeah. I, I don't think anybody really cared about looking foolish. <laughs> on, on, I mean, it, it is hard to believe that Christina Applegate, you know, got her start playing Kelly, you know, when she went on to such a decorated career as an actress. Yeah, but she was smart enough to know where her bread was going to be buttered early in her career. And she was getting a start early enough in her career that she was going to have time to be an actress, you know, in her 20s and 30s. Although, you know, when I watch reruns of Married with Children now, she didn't dress as outrageously as I remembered. That's because your mind was telling you what was beneath the clothes. Yeah, and I was younger. Yes, right. And we, and we, we look at it now and we see that all the time on the street, whereas that looks like nothing today. Well, turning to football, um, is Green Bay falling apart? They're three and five. Rodgers looks disinterested. And they're three and a half point favorites at Detroit. And Detroit stinks. Turns out that coach being witty and uh, and having good one-liners wouldn't make them any better. Uh, but I wonder about that game. I wonder about Green Bay versus Chicago in the north because I've got money on the Bears being – exact order finish i've got them third i thought they would be in front of the lions and behind minnesota and green bay and pretty comfortably now i think minnesota's going to win the division comfortably and i don't know about green bay they might finish behind chicago and i'm not saying like they got claypool and that's going to change everything well, but that would screw the steelers Yes, it would, because they, they had a chance to get Green Bay. Because I had a said chance that, to trade Claypool to Green Bay. I said that a couple times. Like, you know, the tipping point over who gets the better pick might be where Claypool goes to the other team. You know, like how that shakes. You might be, you might be hurting yourself in the choice by whoever you end up giving it to. I sense they just wanted to get him out of there, though. Like, uh, Josie like Anderson yeah. reports they didn't like him in the locker room. Although, when he did media in Chicago, he didn't rip the Steelers. He just said, I don't feel I was used to my... Yeah, you know, full capability, but that's not an unfair thing to say. I, I, I don't blame a receiver for thinking that, especially when he was playing in a new position, which probably was not his best position. I just thought it was funny how Tomlin talked about who the buffers were for the loss of Claypool. Like he talked about him and Fryermuth almost interchangeably, but the guys who are going to replace him more than likely, it sounds like are Gunner and Sims. Yeah, Sims, I think, more so. They, yeah. they seem to like Sims. So, like, you know, you're telling me that you're removing a guy who's ostensibly a second tight end for you, and you're replacing him for the prototypical Ray-Ray McLeod type. There's a reason for that, Tim. Uh, Tomlin just doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, now, Miami is a five-point favorite at Chicago, staying with with, with that line of questioning. Yeah. Um, obviously, they're ignoring the Chase Claypool factor. Uh I think Miami might be better than their record. I like Miami in this game to cover because, you know, if, if you look at their record with Tua, I think all their losses came when Tua didn't play or the game he left early, they lost as well. So uh, I kind of like Miami in this game, and I, I kind of like Miami, period. And my analysis of Tua has to include the five near interceptions that he threw against the Steelers, Well, that's though. true, too. You know, so— Well, I, Tim, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's, you know, uh, uh, Bob Greasy— well, there's a, a name that ages me, uh, dates me, I should say. But uh, but they, he does win. 
And at this point, I'm not sure how many great quarterbacks there are, and a lot of the great quarterbacks don't win anymore. Well, I'll say more to the point. I think their record is roughly what it's going to be. I think they'll be about a 9-10 to win team yeah. and be the fourth or fifth seed in the East. Uh, Tampa Bay is a three-point favorite at home against the L.A. Rams. How about Tampa Bay's 3-5? and five? The L.A. Rams are 3-4. and four. Uh, Both teams are in disarray. My, how the mighty have fallen. I'm more on the Rams on this one. In fact, I like that pick. I want to, the the theory now the working theory now is that Brady got over the worst part of it the divorce is finalized it was going to come out publicly it was weighing on him did, did you see their prenup is and I quote uh, the story directly ironclad <laughs> I didn't see that who phrased it that way it's in the headline <laughs> Brady Giselle have ironclad prenup I love it so wait a minute when this says ironclad it's is it essentially just saying that it was done quickly because neither one could fight it? Is that the point it was trying to make? Because whenever you right. say ironclad, you usually mean good for you, bad for anybody else. Like your contract. Oh no, no, I don't. I don't necessarily mean that. I just mean that things are spelled out and, and, okay. and non-negotiable. There's no wiggle room. Well, maybe that's to the point of what people are saying about Brady. That- I would assume that each just kept their own money. That would be wise if they went into it knowing that that at that point though, like if you're Brady. When Brady married Giselle, for as good as he was back then, all the fortune that has come his way with the TB12 stuff and all that, he couldn't have whiffed that on the horizon. I I would have asked for a little bit more because Giselle, when they got married, was worth a lot more than Brady. She still is, but a lot more back then. I would ask for more. I think he probably closed the gap to some degree. Then Again, we're talking about money that that neither one could ever spend in their lifetime. Not only did he close the gap, but I don't know how much more she's made. You know, because his his fortune grew with the TB12 stuff. I think the stuff. only way to, to to spend all that money and go broke, I mean, NFL athletes, a lot have gone broke, but this is different. This level of wealth is different. You'd have to gamble and lose all the time and gamble big money. So you should listen to this podcast is what you're saying. Giselle, if you're listening. I'm sure she is. Bet on Tom minus three and a half. That's a good way to That's lose like money. That's like the movie Brewster's Millions. Yes, I remember that so movie. Richard Pryor inherited, uh, like, what was it, $60 million? But he had to to get the whole sixty million. He had to like be broke at the end of what thirty days, yeah. ninety days, having already been given six million, ten million, whatever it was. And you couldn't give it to anything charitable, right? You could give five percent to charity. You could lose uh, some kind of percentage gambling as well. But you had to spend the rest in goods and services, and, and have no nothing tangible left at the end, right? Um, by the way, speaking of, we brought up the Lakers series before. Boy, did they make Richard Pryor look bad, huh? And that, remember? Well, like, what, as a coke-addled maniac? That's kind of what he was. <laughs> okay, well. Okay, here's my bet of the week, Tim. I always bet on the Jets. New York Jets plus 12.5 at home against Buffalo. I know the Jets are faltering, and it frustrated me as a fan of the boy toy, Zach Wilson, that they lost for 13th straight time to New England. Yeah, some people are calling for Flacco to go back in. No, I, you, you got to stick with, with, with the boy toy. But but 13, 12 and a half points, even though Buffalo is a juggernaut and they're at home, that's a lot of points. Well, it is a lot of points, which is why, for instance, I put together a three-team parlay on the money line of Eagles and Bills and Chiefs. The Chiefs play the Titans, but I do like the Titans getting 12. I mean, the Titans aren't so bad that they should lose to this edition of the Chiefs by 12. Is Malik Willis in there, though? Yeah. But, I mean, I didn't think much of Tannehill anyway. Malik Willis winds up having a better season as a rookie than Kenny Pickett? I'm not ruling it out, especially if he's going to only be asked to throw the ball 10 times. I think Pickett stinks. I think he was put in too early. Now the word is he's missing open receivers. If you watch the tape, 
you can missing see this. like not throwing two. Yeah, yeah, not throwing well, two. I them, think yeah. that's always been part of the knock. I think there was a lot. I thought it was funny when Mitch Trubisky said this week. I, I asked him. I said, "Are you seeing the same things wrong with the offense that you saw when you were in there?" And he said, "Yes." But I don't know if he knew that I meant like you not throwing the ball to the open guy down the field. Well, I'm of the opinion that the reason they haven't fired Matt Canada would be because if they did fire Matt Canada and the offense didn't get any better, then blame might be accurately placed. And that's the last thing they want. Meaning placed on Tomlin and Pickett? Yes, exactly. Those two. I think Pickett's the bigger variable in that. Yeah, but I think Tomlin uh, laid the foundation that is collapsing as we speak. I just think people... I think big picture, Tomlin has done a horrible job for a decade. I think people that are anti-Tomlin or people that see both sides, the good and the bad of Tomlin, have gotten somewhat numb. What's the good side of Tomlin? What he did when he first got here. Yeah, how about the last 11 years? Any good side? That's what I'm saying. There's not been much. But my point being that everybody who is on that side of the fence of Tomlin almost has become numb to he's not going to take blame from ownership. And I think there's a little bit of a panic point over the quarterback. They missed on the pick kid when they didn't take Marino. Now they decided to take this guy. And if he's wrong in a year, then what? What if you cluttered up your quarterback room with three guys you don't want by next September? My God. The Vikings are 6-1. and one, And I'm thinking, Tim, that my only hope for Kirk Cousins to get MVP, as I bet, uh, on futures. Now, his numbers aren't bad. They're just not as good as they were last year. But I think he has a chance at MVP if he can up his numbers a bit and go like 15-2. and two. And Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Jalen Hurts all catch COVID and never come back. Well, I, are any of them going to go 15-2? and two? Well, Hurts might. That's a good point. Allen might. That's a good point, too. <laughs> I mean, like, I get what you're saying. He's the most important player right now on the best team in the North. But those other three teams, I think, are a cut above, especially how people perceive their seasons versus the rest of the league. Well, the what if Minnesota gets number one seed in the in – the, in the NFC. It would certainly help their own cause if they could play the Eagles, and they don't. Like, the Eagles, I don't think there's any way the Eagles avoid going 9-0, and I don't see them losing two games after that. I take that back, more than two games. I could probably see them losing one in division and one in that, like, little tricky stretch of games that they've got after the Texans and Commanders. they got three games, two against AFC teams that are eh, and uh, another one that they probably should win. I think that was... Uh, against the Packers, actually, that they should win, but you know it's still tricky when you play Green Bay and Rodgers. Now it's time to turn to my Premier League predictions. I'm tempted to suspend actually betting, Tim, because I'm doing horribly. Uh, I've lost six straight bets in the Premier League. Well, do you find yourself sometimes getting in that space that a lot of people do where you, if you follow a little bit of a niche sport or a niche team, that the depth with which you follow it clouds your vision sometimes? That you're so deep into it, you've seen Team X, Y, and Z at their worst. I prefer to just think that I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Well, that's good enough, too. Um, My bet of the week is Arsenal plus 170 at Chelsea. Uh, Arsenal are a slight underdog despite being in first place in the Prem right now. The game is at uh, Stamford Bridge at Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea has been a mess, not unlike Liverpool. Uh, now, there's always a chance they could get it together at home against the Crosstown rival, both London teams, but I, I like Arsenal. Um, here's a weird one that I won't bet, but but uh, Tottenham Hotspur are plus 220 dogs at home against Liverpool. I can't imagine that, that Liverpool's the favorite in that game, but they are. 
Um, I, I, I don't know. I, that's that's that. I, I'm commenting on that line because I don't understand it, which makes me not bet. Well, let, let me ask you something. Is there a way you can bet in soccer? I know you've told me that you can bet, win, lose, draw. Right. Can you? Is there a way to bet winner draw or loser yes. draw? You yes. can do that. Just will awful odds against you, right? The odds, the odds uh, make it prohibitive sometimes. Well, they go, they go bad. Yeah, that's what the I'm only saying. time it's worked to me betting like uh, winner draw. You can only bet winner draw. You can't bet lose or draw. Okay, but if you bet winner draw, uh, only if it's a, if it's a big underdog. You know what I mean? Where that the odds are still pretty decent. But like case in point. Fulham plays Manchester City this week, right? Okay. Fulham is plus 2,000. Oh. I mean, that's just... But then again, Leeds were like... Uh, last. Remember last week I joked that I should have bet Leeds because uh, they were like plus 900. If they if they won, I'd get money, but I'd yes. be unhappy they beat Liverpool. Well, they did beat Liverpool, <laughs> and I didn't make that bet. Did you bet on the Phillies getting a hit last night by any well, chance? That, I was coming to the World Series... Uh, yeah, what are you making them pull in the pitcher when he has a no-hitter going? I know he threw, like, what, 97 pitches? But I still leave him in until he gets a hit. And Especially what was the score at the time? At least 4 five nothing. 5 nothing. nothing. I leave him until he concedes a hit. And I know you wanted to pitch later in the World Series, but see, that's why I hate baseball. Baseball has put efficiency over entertainment to just an absurd degree. Like when Snell got pulled in Game 6 of the 2020 World Series, even though he was dominating the Dodgers for Tampa, but they pulled him because of pitch count. What, yeah. third time through the order, stuff like that. Baseball just doesn't care about that stuff anymore. They have just reduced the game to, okay, here's what you're supposed to do here. Any dope could manage in the major leagues. You do it by rote. The other thing about that decision is, let's say that was Verlander in game one, when you knew you were going to use Verlander again later in the series. They're not pulling Verlander with a no-hitter. Because Verlander's going to demand to stay in. Exactly. Because Ver- Verlander's going to want to make history. And it's a partial, maybe not partial, entirely status thing. If you can, if the managers of the team can get away with making it look like it's team construct that won the game instead of one pitcher, they'll do it. But, but this means nothing, this combined no-hitter. I mean, it is history only in the very technical sense. Yeah, it ain't Roy Halladay and it ain't Don Larson. Right, right. That uh, that website, Super 70 Sports, they put it perfectly. said, it's nothing but a fancy shutout. Yeah, I like that. Fancy shutout. Exactly. And it's weird, isn't it, that when it comes to no-hitters or perfect games, there have been three of them in 119 years of postseason baseball, and two of them are in that band box of a park in Philadelphia, of all places. Because Halliday had one in 2010 in the NLDS, and Larson had the other one at the Yankee Stadium. Yeah, that that to me, I mean, that's that. I mean, like, here's the thing: if Dusty Baker, who's the biggest ass in the world, by the way, and everybody knows that, yeah, if Dusty Baker wants to pull him, if that's the right thing to do, that's okay. I mean, if if you know, like, I heard uh, that Adam Shine, who does a, a national sports talk show, I think is pretty good. He's going to people who are talking like me. Don't you understand? The Houston Astros just won game four of the World Series. And I'm like, yeah, I understand. I just don't care. You know, I want to see moments. I want to see history. Unless you're an Astros fan. And if that's going to be deprived all the time, I'm just not going to watch. Especially And to be fair, I wasn't watching last (laughs) night either. You know what I watched? I watched the moment the postgame show ended for the Penguins. I wanted to stick around. I was... Doing DV in the morning, so I want to hear the sound bites and all that. So the post game show ends. I pick up the clicker and I put on the World Series. No idea, no hitter was going on. And I want to. I got to credit the play by play guy. They come back from commercial break. 
somebody's winding, whichever pitcher, whichever reliever was on the mound by this point is warming up and he goes, Astros in the middle of a no-hitter, so-and-so on the mound now. I'm like, oh, so we're not doing the pretend, we're not going to do it to jinx it thing. No, no need to if it's going to be a split no-hitter. Exactly. Because nobody cares. Exactly. You're not jinxing a guy at that point. You're just saying what it is. See, here's what I would have liked to have seen And happen. it's a national broadcast and it's a wider audience, too. This is, this is like, what, this is like uh, very hypothetical, okay? If they keep trotting in different pitchers, okay, to, to you know to try to win the game, right? And and rest uh, the starter, all that crap. Mm-hmm. I wish the score had been closer. Okay, if the score is closer, say it's two nothing, and the Phillies get a guy on base, you know, by a walk or something, error or something like that. Yeah. What if the first hit was a guy laying down a bunt just to get on base and keep the rally going? Because if the starting pitcher's not in there anymore. Houston loses the right to say, hey, you know, you know, earn a hit. You know, it's a no-hitter. Once the starter comes out, all that's out the window. If the Astros are just playing to win the game, then there's no problem with the Phillies doing that either, right? But uh, sadly, it never came to that. Precisely. And by the way, what, one of my favorite tra- traditions in baseball is what I was talking about before, specifically here in Pittsburgh. The lengths to which Brown and Block and Walk and those guys, they will strain their vocal cords to not say no-hitter. If the other guy has one going against the Pirates, it's a no-hitter here in the seventh inning. Welcome back to Pirates baseball. See, I would like to just run in the booth and, <laughs> and, and say, you know, I can't even name a Pirates pitcher. Brew Baker has a no-hitter going. Yeah, like he ever would. Can't, can't even come out of your mouth, right? Finally, Tim, question I uh, uh, two questions I brought up on my show. I think the best quarterback-running-back-receiver combination in college football history all time is Marino, Dorsett, and Fitzgerald. Oof. I threw that out there. Nobody else could come up with anything. I assume I'm right. I'm trying to think. You know, I, I could have come up with maybe. I mean, you're on the modern Donovan McNabb. Yeah, Don- Jim Brown. Yep. But Art, who's the receiver? Art Monk or Marvin Harrison. Yeah, I, I give Pitt the edge, don't you? I do. Although that's not a bad threesome with Syracuse. Yeah, I would give Jim Brown the edge over Dorsett, but I give Pitt the other two. And that might be one of the few guys that I ever give the edge over Dorsett to. I was trying to think of you know, the great quarterbacks of all time, and they've come from sometimes unique enough universities like, you know, Brady. I can't think of a running back from Michigan or a wide receiver from Michigan that would challenge Pitt in that regard. Well, and you think like Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Well, like Notre Dame, I come up with Montana, Paul Horning, and Tim Brown. Yeah, Tim Brown was the receiver. But that right? don't compare. That doesn't compare at all to Fitzgerald. And my other question is, uh, with Kyrie Irving, just, 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 <laughs> you got to love him. You got to love him. I, he, he insults. You know, he's anti-Semitic. Yes. To a like, he's doing PR for anti-Semitism. Hey, come watch this. And now today he cuts a check and says he's not anti-Semitic. And he, he played his cards right by just issuing a statement, not talking. Because if I were interviewing him, if you were to say, "Listen, you're lying," this I mean, but like, I think he's one guy that isn't worth having on your team, no matter how good he is. It's an Antonio Brown factor. Yeah. Those the, that's the only other guy that immediately comes to mind is Antonio the, Brown. And he's the only guy, Kyrie, I'm talking about, that could make Antonio Brown irrelevant on a topic like this because A.B. has sent out a couple tweets to this effect, too, and everybody's still paying attention to Kyrie. Now, I've got one question for you. What should the plot line of the new dodgeball be? Oh, yeah, we talked about that because Justin Long says Vince Vaughn has an idea. Ben Stiller's balking. Yeah, because he doesn't want to denigrate the... the uh, Legacy of the original movie, and I'm like, bro, you're not remaking Casablanca. 
Okay, if but it's, in a way they are. It's, if it's funny, you know, try it. But I don't know. I can't think of a pot. Can well, you? Do they kind of do the thing where Rip Torn's character becomes Vince Vaughn, and then Justin Long becomes Vince Vaughn? They do something like that, sort of a hand me up kind of thing. That sounds horrible. And then, like, I, I'm trying to think of another way to do it. Like, I, there's not a side character enough to carry the plot. Like, you're not going to do the life and times of Steve the Pirate. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know if there's a spin off character like the Mandalorian. Steve that you, the Pirate became the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies in the Jackie Robinson movie. That's right, he did. Yes. He said the N word like a thousand <laughs> times in 90 <laughs> seconds. It was, it was, it throws you off, doesn't it? Well, you know, it, it you know, that really happened. Like like that that monologue where he cuts the promo on Jackie Robinson was almost word for word true. You can read it. Is it always oh, it written down in like the like, New York like, papers or something? Like no, people like in in books about Robinson quoting oh, okay. him. Like it was pieced together from all that stuff. But you know, it just and I'm sure they threw a few, you know, because like that was wasn't that shocking in its in its. Uh, viciousness? Yeah. But yeah. then again, that happened. That's the way the time was. I also wonder if Ben Stiller might not be on board with this because aren't. He and Christine Taylor aren't together anymore, right? And there oh, would, aren't they? I, I think they might not be a couple anymore. Turn her heel. <laughs> That's right. She cheats on Vince Vaughn, and that brings those two together, and they reform like the Purple Cobras or something like that. See the, she tries to buy Globo Gym. See, the fact that we're coming up with... She I- gets Globo Gym in the divorce. The fact that we're coming up with these ideas and they all stink... <laughs> Indicates that maybe they <laughs> should not, 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 not do a dodgeball, too. That's Tim Benz. I'm Mark Madden. Thanks to Bet Rivers. This is the Mark Madden Money Bets Podcast. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, BetRivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.